have a seat. This morning, we are coming to an end of our journey through the book of James. Uh, Just so you kind of know where we're headed, uh, next week we're going to start a five-week series on basically, I'm going to call it Life Essentials. Uh, We are in a very unusual time in our world history, in our history, and the dynamics of what's happening in the world basically is making life more and more difficult. So what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be looking at basically five ideas or principles that I think are essential to being able to handle life in the culture in which we live. So uh, we're going to be looking at that, and then we'll be starting our series, our small group study uh, church campaign um, entitled uh, Never Alone. So that's where we're headed. This morning we're going to wrap up uh, the book of James. Let's review real quickly, and then we're going to get to the last two verses in the book of James. But this is a book that was written to the early church. It's the first book the church had. And James writes it with the idea in mind of saying, let me explain to you what mature faith actually looks like. So we've been walking through this book looking at the things. And so here's just kind of a quick summary. Um, Here's a quick summary. Guys, you got me on the, oh, no, they're doing something back there. Wow, what a day. (laughs) All right, are we good? There we go. All right. Um, So here's the the idea uh, that he's talked about. He's talked about the idea that mature faith has a servant's attitude, a servant's heart. It seeks wisdom and humility. It handles trials and temptations, testing, stuff that comes along. It listens and it doesn't allow anger to take root. It takes and applies what it, it learns. Genuine faith focuses on others. It has self-controlled speech. It keeps, uh, a person keeps themselves unspotted from the world. They don't show favoritism. He goes on, he said, their faith and their deeds match. There's a, there's a, a matchup of what they say and what they do. They have the ability to control their speech. They understand that life is a life of submission and humility. It does not slander. It recognizes that life is incredibly short. It stands firm in unity and, and togetherness. And it understands that there's a healthy connection, we talked about this last week, between spiritual and physical. Now this morning, James is going to get into a, the last two verses, and again, it's kind of like last week. There's a ton of controversy about it. So we're going to dive into it, and we're going to try to explain it, and then I'm going to show you how I think it fits perfectly into the end of this book. So here's what he says. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, it seems like an odd ending to this book. But I'm going to leave it up here for a while because we're going to kind of work our way through it and apply it. Let me tell you the controversy. Is he talking about Christians who walk away from the faith that we are, we have an obligation to go and reach those people and bring them back? Or is he talking about the idea that we should go out as Christians with our mature faith and reach lost people for him? And so I'm going to... Explain this passage both ways, all right? 
And then I'll tell you what I believe, not that it really matters. Uh, but I'll, you know, you can pick, you can pick what you want on this, uh, on this passage. So, verse 19 is the favorite verse of people who say this verse is about Christians. Okay? So let me explain to you how they come to that conclusion. My brothers and sisters. So he's talking here to Christians. And we've already said this book of James is all about the focus on Christians, mature faith. What does a mature faith look like? And we've talked about all the things that are involved in a mature faith. So he's starting out, and the focus of verse 19 is he's talking to Christians. If one of you, again, well, we talked to Christians, and if one of you would be Christians, right? I mean, if one of you, and I've addressed you as brother, since you're talking about Christians, should wonder from the truth, and if you are going to wonder from the truth, that assumes that you had to know the truth. So, again, we're talking about Christians. Um, someone should bring that person back. In the Old Testament, there was a concept of backsliding. In the Old Testament, you saw Israel doing this a lot. So a lot of people look at this passage and say, this is talking to Christians. However, there's another group of people that say, no, 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 no. He's talking about lost people. And they go to, their, their focus is verse 20. Here's what verse 20 says. Remember this. Whoever turns a sinner. Okay, now there's an interesting word because we don't use the word sinner and Christian together. In fact, most of the time in the New Testament... Anytime you see the word sinner, it's always talking, just about always, it's talking about a lost person. It's not talking about a Christian. And then, from the error of his ways, literally the idea is, uh, is the word is to apostatize. The idea is to have nothing to do with the truth. The idea is to um, have nothing, and again, people of the way, it's like this concept here of, this is talking about, Sinners, unsaved people, because notice what he goes to do. What will the person do? They will save them. Now, there's a salvation word. That's not a word we use in connection to Christians. That's a word that we use in connection to lost people or or people who don't know Christ. And what will they save them from? Death. Well, again, there's a salvation word. And the second death is, is a death without Christ. And cover over a multitude again. There's again, that's a salvation concept in atonement. So they look at verse 20 and they go, verse, this is about mature Christians going out and reaching the world for Christ and seeing them saved so that they could come to know Christ. That's what James is saying. So you say, well, what's the answer, Pastor? Yes. There's the answer. It's both. I think there is both at focus. Now, if you were to corner me and and say, okay, as a Bible theology person, you have to choose one or die. Personal, not that it matters. I would probably go more the salvation focus. Because I see this passage, 19 and 20, more loaded with salvation words than I do Christian kind of word. I don't think it matters to us. Because I think the whole idea behind the book of James, and this is what happens so often in theology. We get so hung up on this stuff that we miss the important stuff. 
And the important stuff is this. Your mature faith exists so that you can either, and you can apply it either way, you can either restore Christians who are going by the wayside, or you can reach people who don't know Christ. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, this whole maturity thing, it ain't about you anyway. It's about you becoming mature so you can help other people in their journey or in their lack of a journey in getting them to a Christian journey. That's what James is saying. So I think it's a, it's, it's a perfect conclusion to this book. So with that in mind, how do we play it out for this week? Here's how it looks for us in application. You have to understand that a mature faith focuses on helping other people. Now look, I'm not against Bible study. I'm not against Christians getting together and, and, and studying the Bible. But I'm going to tell you right now, if Christians getting together, studying the Bible, does not result in either your life changing or you impacting the life of somebody else changing, you're wasting your time. Because all you're doing is giving yourself a fat head. That's all you're doing. When I was in college, one of my, one of my favorite professors um, was saved later in life. He was actually a bomb disposal technician for the government in the military. So this is a guy who literally lived life and death every day that he went to work as a bomb disposal tech. Uh, he got saved after the military, and he got saved through the navigators. And in coming to know Christ, it literally changed his life. Um, he, because he was from the navigators, he used to say uh, he, he's, he was really big on Bible memory. And he memorized a verse every day. He ended up then going to Bible college, getting a degree from Dallas Theological, and uh, ended up then teaching, and I was fortunate enough to have him as a, as a teacher, a mentor. One of the things that Ron used to say is, um, this, now, let me, I want to back this up. This is a guy who had memorized entire books of the Bible. Uh, so in other words, he's not going to just stand up and preach on James. If he wanted to, he could quote the book of James, starting in verse 1, ending in 519. So he had married. So this is a guy who knew. And by the way, he reviewed them every day. He used to work on his treadmill and review them every day. So in class, it was phenomenal to sit on a guy like this because you'd ask questions. And he'd go, well, what about this passage? What about that passage? What about this passage? And you're in your Bible going, you know, and he's rattling them off of his head. This is a guy who I was fortunate to learn from. And here's what he used to always tell us as students. God does not want fat heads. He wants soft hearts. If you're not applying it, you're wasting your time. I would say the same thing to you. A mature faith, in order to walk around and go, well, I'm grown as a Christian doesn't matter if you're not impacting lives and if it's not changing your life. That's what James is saying. He's saying, look, 
The mature faith. All that stuff we just talked about. James said the purpose for that is not so that you can walk around going, well, I've been a Christian 50 years. No, no, no. What are you doing with that 50-year Christianity? Is it changing your life? Are you a nicer person? Are you a kinder person? Are you a more patient person? Are you a more gentle person? Are you, <clears throat> are you more as far as reaching out to your neighbors? When you see someone struggling in their Christian life, do you walk up and try to help them, encourage them, strengthen them? What are you doing with that mature faith that James has spent five chapters talking about? That's what he's saying. He's saying, because see, a mature faith, when it sees a brother, it goes out to, if you want to apply it to Christians, they go out and reach a brother to keep them from making the, the bad decision. Or if you want to apply it to non-Christians, they go out and they reach people who don't know Christ to save them and cover a multitude of their sin. That's what James is saying. And I think when we talk about all of this, we have to understand real mature faith. It, it, it has a focus on people other than yourself. It's involved in the life of others. Um, and I can't, I can't say this enough because I think sometimes we get this idea that the more Bible I know, the more, you know, the more I'm in tune with God. Look, if you're not applying it, and that's what James has said. Don't be doers of the word or don't be hearers of the word and not doers. Go out and do it. Make it practical. Use it. He's already told us that. So as we get into it, we have to understand it's, 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 it's outward focus. Now here's the problem. When you get involved in the lives of other people, guess what? It is messy. It is messy. Why? Because lives are more and more complicated. There's more and more stuff. There's more and more baggage. There's more and more issues. It's just plain messy. There's no, there's no other way around it. And honestly, it's always easier to let somebody else do it, isn't it? You know who that somebody else usually ends up being? Me. Oh, pastor, could you go talk to so-and-so? Why aren't you talking to so-and-so? Oh, I might get it wrong, but it's okay if you get messy. Come on, God's given you the relationship. God's given you the burden. Go talk to him. You want to talk to me about what things that I can give you, some tools that I can give you to help you talk to him? Awesome. But God has matured you and is maturing you for you to get involved too. I've got my own set of people I'm trying to reach. I've got my own tribe that I'm trying to connect with. I, you go, well, you, you know, you're, like, you're the professional. No, 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 this is what James is about. No, 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 you, God has called you and matured you for you to be able to get engaged in the lives of other people. That's what he's saying. And yes, it is messy. You cannot, you cannot get involved in people. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, it would be like, and some of you will get this, it'll be like loading cattle in a suit. Um, you know, okay, again, I, I was a city kid when I came out here. I wanted to jump into the farm thing. So I decided to jump in. Anytime I saw something where I could jump in, I jumped in. I came home one day. And again, this was back. This was a different world for me. 
I had on a pair of tennis shorts and a t-shirt. And I noticed as I pulled into my lane, they were, they were bailing small bales and loading them on a trail. And I thought, let's go do that. Now picture this. Tennis shoes, little socks up to here, a pair of shorts, a t-shirt. Hey, I'll help you. And of course, they were like, oh, you need to go get a pair of jeans on. That's what people who loved you would do. (laughs) People who thought that you needed to learn something said, sure, jump up on the trailer. And I did. And I learned that, you know what? Guess what? I got, I mean, I was Scratched all up. I was itching for two days. It was a mess. But it was an experience. And you know what? When you get involved with people, let me tell you something. It, it is messy, and you learn stuff the hard way, and it's just part of the process. And listen, if you haven't figured it out yet, getting involved in the lives of people is tough. Because here's, think about it for a second. You're... If, if you want to take the Christian approach, you're going to a Christian brother or sister who's making poor decisions and you're coming alongside of them and you're telling them something they don't want to hear. And if you're sharing the gospel with somebody, you're sharing the gospel with somebody and they don't want to hear it. If they wanted to hear it, they would go and listen. They're not there. So you're trying to do things that are hard and that are difficult and they're messy And they're tough. But James says, listen, the reason God saved you, the reason God matured you, is so that you can get involved in other people's lives. And that's what he's doing. And I think sometimes we we miss that. It's like, oh, church and everything. It's all about us. It's all about me growing and all that. And it's awesome. But if you're not going to do anything with it, you're missing the whole point. And that's what James, that's why I think this is a fitting ending to this book. James is saying, look, it's great that you're maturing. It's great that you're working on all those things we just talked about. But the reason you're doing that is so you can go and help other people, whether to be saved or lost. Um, the second idea is this. Mature faith understands that we are all in this together. When you go through that list of things that he's talked about in this book, one of the things that you notice in this book is there is a humility, there is a love, there is a passion that exists when your faith is solid and mature. Um, Some of you, you look at a passage like this and you're like, I I just don't know that I can go talk to that person. I don't know that, you know, I I just don't know how to take it. Here's what I've learned. If people know that you're coming from a heart of sincere, humble love and wanting what's best for them, you'd be amazed what they will take from you. You will be amazed at what they will, at what they will say. Sometimes they won't. I'm not saying everybody will. But when you have developed a relationship where you're, where they know that you're, you're, you're you have a heart of love and only what's best for them. You're not some project. They're not some project. They're not some box that you're trying to check off. I witnessed to six people this week. They, they genuinely know you want what's best for them. You would be amazed. 
and what people will be able to take and what people will be able to listen from you. And what I fear for some of you is this, that you are in a situation here where you're growing and maturing, but you're missing the greatest blessing that comes with growth and maturity, and that's investing in the lives of other people. I had a, what's really driving this, I had a conversation this week, a pastor friend of mine, and was going through some tough stuff, and we were talking, and, and I got to share my journey with them to get here and all of the stuff that God did. It was an incredible reminder to me of exactly what James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20 is talking about. Um, many of you know the story, but when I came here, um, I was 31 years old. I was a child. They, they, they wanted a child to lead them. Um, long story short, and again, I got to share this with, I got to share all of the, the ways that I had seen God work and, and things like that to get to here. But um, basically what was happening was I was filling pulpit. And I got a call and said, would you come down and preach for us? So 30 years old, my wife, Josh was what, six months old at the time? Yeah, Josh was six months old. Um, JT was like two and a half, three, somewhere in there. All in, about three, yeah. So my, my wife and Josh and JT are in the car, and we drive to this building. Now, this is the old church in Holly Springs. Uh, many of you have never seen it. Some of you have. Some of you were in it. Uh, the first time that we came out, I got directions. Uh, I drove all the way. And again, my driving is back then is like it is now. But I, So I blew through Holly Springs, got about halfway to Smithland. I looked at my wife and I said, do you think that little bridge that we crossed where I was supposed to slow down, do you think that was a town? Now, you have to understand, the town then is not like the town now. The town then actually had a cafe in it. Um, and uh, she said, well, I don't know, but we've gone a whole lot farther than they said we should. So we turned around came back. There was a sign, sure enough, coming the other way that said Holly Springs, so we knew we were in the right place. And back then, when you pulled up, the guys were standing on the, on the porch uh, underneath that little awning, hoping that the pastor that they had, that they had scheduled was going to show up. Because if he didn't, they're panicking trying to figure out who's going to do the service. Because back then, there was no pastor. They would just do visiting speakers every week. And so that's how this whole thing started. Um, and then as it, it, it progressed a little bit, they, I started filling pulpit more and more and more. And then they said, would you come on and, and kind of be our pastor? And I said, look, I don't know that I want to be a pastor at this point. Um, I need to work on some things with my marriage and my family, and uh, I don't think I'm ready to jump back into that again. And um, and and they couldn't afford me anyway. <laughs> uh, so they they I, we keep going back and forth, but I think it was like they were giving me like seventy five dollars a week to show up. Uh, and uh, I was working part time, and I did that for about ten years. I would work about three days a week at the church. I'd work about three days. Uh, somewhere else, and so I'd work for farmers and roofing and, and all that kind of thing. And it was, it, to, to say the least, it has been, and by the way, I'm not leaving, so just relax. 
Uh, well, some of you might get excited if I was. But anyway, um, so anyway, so in that process of it, um, it, finally the church got to a deal where it's like we got to have you full time. We just we, we we have to have that. Um, and so we jumped into this thing um, full time, and that was uh, June of 1992. Is the first Sunday I showed up here. Um. So let me talk to you about 30 plus years of investing in people's lives. Um, it has been messy. Um, if you think everything was always smooth, then you weren't part of this journey um, at the beginning or in the middle. Uh, it was in, in, incredibly uh, messy. Um, it was incredibly difficult and still is to share the gospel in this community. Um, we had everything and still have everything going. It's just not as bad now, but back then we had everything going against us. We are a non-denominational church. You had a city kid coming down preaching. We had potluck, which in this community, and I kid you not, people thought we were a cult because we ate chicken. Um, a lot of us had minivans, so that, all driving the same kind of car, so that kind of threw us into a group. And then I didn't help because I, back then I wore a tie every Sunday. And I hated wearing a tie, so my rebellion against wearing a tie is I always wore a Mickey Mouse tie. Well, so now it's the Mickey Mouse tie-wearing preacher wearing a van leading a cult. Um, is kind of how it, how it's, how it happened. Um, and I, I'll just say, over the years, we've had to deal with issues, we've had to confront people, we've had to say things, we've had to do things, and it has been incredibly messy. Um, and I'm not kidding, and, and it's been incredibly tough. Um, there were days, there were weeks, there were seasons here where I really questioned whether or not I wanted to keep doing this. Now, I'm 30 some odd years past that date now, and here's what I will tell you. I will tell you that when you put it in perspective, that is such a small part of what's gone on here. Now, at the time, it was like the, the, the it was under a microscope. The thing was huge and and uh, and ugly and messy and difficult. And what are you doing? And it just magnified. It was like this. That's all you could ever see and all you could ever focus on. But in hindsight, when you put it in perspective, they were all steps to get us where we are today. They were all part of the journey. And really, those things, although they were monumental for us as far as direction, they were really a small part of it. What has really happened over those 30-some-odd years, a whole lot more than the other ugly, messy stuff, is... There are people that we've had to go to and say some really hard things. But they knew that we loved them. They knew that we cared about them. 
They knew that we wanted what was best for them. And they got off of the destructive path that they were on. And their lives were changed. And their kids' lives were changed. And their grandkids' lives were changed. And their family dynamics were changed. And we watched God do that. We have people who came in these doors who thought that no church would ever accept them because of their past. And people they walked in here and everybody treated them just like anybody else. And for the first time, there are people who found love and acceptance and people who took them as they were. And that encouraged and strengthened their faith and they went on to continue to mature in their faith. We've watched people come to Christ. We've watched people grow. Many of you are here because somebody invited you to be a part of this craziness. And when I look back on it, I look at it and say, you know what? It's one thing for me to be able to have a mature faith is one thing, for, but for me to be able to use that, that mature faith or that maturing faith to be able to impact the lives of other people, boy, I would not want to miss that. I do not want to miss what God, and, and this is what I'm saying, my concern for some of you here, some of you, you've been saved You have been a Christian for 50 years. And what's happened is you've gotten sucked into this idea that it's all about more Bible study and more knowledge and more everything. And you're missing the idea that it's no. It's about going out and reaching your neighbor and reaching that that brother or sister in Christ who you know is struggling, who's having a hard time, and you want to try to help them. That's why God has matured you. That's why he's given you 50 years of, of background and experience. And again, I, I'm there, so I, I get this. The idea of retiring so you can do nothing is not a biblical concept. The idea of having this, this 50-year Christian walk so that you can just simply sit back and not use it for the kingdom of God, that is so far from Scripture's idea. The fact that you get to sit in that chair that so many, that 90, you know, you've made it to 65. 92% of the world's not going to do that. You're there and God's, and you've been a Christian the entire, not the entire time, but, you know, 40, 50, 60 years of it. Man, use it. Use it. Listen. We need to come alongside. These young people trying to raise families. We need to be that extra voice helping them raise their kids. That's what God's, again, take that mature faith and use it for something. And this is what James is saying. He comes to the end of this book and he's so passionate about this idea of, look, brothers and sisters, go out and help one another. That's why you're doing all of this stuff from James chapter 1 to the end of chapter 5. So that you can go out and, because here's the thing, when you do that, will some get, will some become your enemy? Yes. In 30 years, I've had people who have decided, they have, not me, that I am their enemy. I, I can't change that. I know my heart before God and I know my heart is how I see them. That's all I know. And that's what I'm responsible for. 
I've done everything I can. That's, that's, it's, it's on their part of it. That just comes. Why? Because it's messy and it's tough. And people don't want to hear what you have to hear. And people may not like the way you, you do it. That's, that's not for me to call. I, I know my heart before God. And that's what I would say. It is so important to build those relationships so you have the opportunity. When God gives you the burden, then you, you, you reach to that person to go, look, you know I love you and care about you, but I see you going down this path. I'm afraid you're going to lose your family. I'm afraid you're going to lose your kids. I'm afraid you're going to lose your testimony in the community. I just don't want to see you go down this road. But it's so much easier to say, hey, pastor, can you go talk to so-and-so? You know what? I've got a list of people God wants me to talk to. My list is full. Okay? Um, do you go and talk to them? Yeah, I do, but... I can't be as effective as you can. Because I'm coming from a position of um, authority. You're coming from a position of relationship. There's a big, big difference. And that is so much, so much more effective. Look, here's what I've learned. If God can take a city kid, Drop him in the middle of Iowa and help him shepherd and lead and try to to keep people from going down a bad road or going down a destructive path. And he can allow me to pastor in the middle of a cornfield. Believe me. Believe me. He can use you. And he has matured you in order to use you. You have grown in this journey in order to do something with it. So do something with it. And I think the greatest untapped resource that the church has in 2023 are retired people. But... You know what I think is prevalent in the American culture with retired people? Again, some of you are not going to like this, but you've been around long enough, you know, I don't mind ticking you off. If the Holy Spirit's ringing your bell, you answer, not me. So here it goes. (laughs) I hear people say, I've put in my time. They're not saying this. They won't say this because this doesn't sound spiritual. That sounds spiritual. It's now time for me to sit and soak. And don't see it scripturally. You plug away and you minister and you let God use you till you take your last breath. Till your heart beats for the last time. You go, you know, I just, it just takes me longer. Then find a slower ministry. Well, I don't know where God could use me. Really? Really? The Gospel Mission right now every week is posting. We need people to serve meals. Here's how many we need for breakfast. Here's how many we need for lunch. Here's how many we need for supper. You know what it involves? Standing and passing out food. And smiling. Oh, it's hard for me. 
So you pass it out slower. takes you longer to smile. You drive a little earlier to get there. And I, I, come on. Come on. Why not take that Christian maturity and allow God to impact lives with it? He didn't do it so we could have fat heads. He did it so we could serve the people around us. That's what this book is about. So I end this morning with this. Mature faith has a purpose. And that purpose is not more knowledge. Mature faith is life and people focused. God matures us to use us. So that we can rescue and restore people in and for his kingdom. So let God use you this week. There is no more significant investment of your life this week than impacting lives for God. Let him use you. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, you know my heart. You know my passion. Lord, Use us. So often we make excuses. So often we, before we know it, are sucked into this idea of getting more and more knowledge and less and less application. So often, Lord, we have get pulled into this Americanized idea of retirement and all of that being about us. So, Lord... Use us. And we all have people we're burdened for, so give us an opportunity this week to impact their lives. And we'll give you the honor and glory and the praise these things we ask in your name. Amen. Let's